You are listening to the podcast Being Donor Conceived Stories from Children and Parents. I'm your host. My name is Sabrina, and I live in Copenhagen with my husband and our donor conceived daughter, Mita. In this, our third episode, we take a good look at how the world around us reacts when we openly share our donor conception stories. Families like mine are met with love and support, with curiosity and questions, and sometimes with a complete lack of understanding. I don't think it is anybody's business how you get your children. Really don't. And people should just bought out. And yet, we remain open about our stories. I've never kept it a secret. I've never been ashamed about it. So to me, it's very natural. I asked my husband, who does not share DNA with our daughter, whether he ever had any reactions from our surroundings. No, not that I can recall. Uh, I have never had anybody question it or... I think the the only thing I've had a bit of surprise, but immediately after acceptance, um, the the only add-on to that is if if for some reason people are a bit interested in the process, then there are more questions for for the actual process, but um, not of me being a non-genetic father. But it's funny that you haven't really had any reactions because I'm often asked behind your back, you know, stuff like, oh, did he have trouble making good attachments to the baby or are they really connected? So that was first like this judgment of could you be a dad in the way people would expect the dad to behave? And now that they're seeing you again the other way around, you know, people saying, oh, do you think he's overcompensating because they don't share DNA? He has to be very present. It's like, never mind what you do. People will explain it by you not sharing genetics with our daughter. I have two comments for that. <laughs> First of all, I think people would be extremely rude if they say that kind of thing to my face. So that's probably also why people are not doing it, even if they are thinking it. Then they can ask you instead behind my back. Much better to yes. talk behind people's backs. Yes, to my wife. <laughs> the second part is I honestly don't think it makes a difference. I do, I don't feel I have ever tried harder or longer or made an extra effort because of the circumstances we got her in. I'm her father. I'm I'm there. I've never had the oh I must try extra hard today because yeah why would I even have that? I'm actually kind of glad that Christopher hasn't had any rude reactions to use his own words. Because I have. Or maybe not rude but definitely problematic. Those comments might come from a place of curiosity, but they hurt. It hurts to know that friends and family think the lack of DNA might damage the bond between my husband and our daughter. And this is just our inner circle. 
Katja and Haley from Germany have chosen to be very open about their family on social media. So I was curious to know what kind of reactions they have had. Um, I mean, we don't really get any, like, I've not really had any bad reactions. I've had a few, you know, homophobic comments here and there, but I just delete them and just block them. Um, but the most part has been positive and it's been, you know, well done, go you and good, good for you. And and also, you know, we've got, there's a huge community out there online of same-sex, like lesbian couples who also put like on their Instagrams and spread information and they share their full um, trying to conceive journeys on there. And it's really helpful to other people in that position. But yeah, we also get like, you know, hetero couples following us and saying like that's great and we started I think this too and was open because we wanted to spread awareness of how the, the first part was a trying to conceive part you know how how we can do it and to try and help people and now it's like you know just that we are a family and this is a variance of a family where everybody's got different families um, yeah, and even outside of like the media part like with family with family and friends with work colleagues I was so glad to hear that Katja, Haley, and their child have only met love and support online. While social media has been a really safe and supportive place for Haley and Katja, it wasn't all so easy when it came to friends and family. Even though they went above and beyond in trying to enlighten their social circles about the choices they made in order to become a family, they still had to correct a few things before their daughter got old enough to notice. We had to educate a few people, like <laughs> Katya's mum and dad, for example. They used the term uh, father, father and papa quite a lot. And I had to tell them, like, no. And I think I told them about three separate occasions. And then they said it on the fourth time. And it was really this time. Please don't say that because... We are not giving him that label. If Emmy wants to give him, our child, Emmy, if, if she wants to give him that label when she's older, that she's allowed to do that. We're never going to tell her. We're not going to deny that. We're not going to deny it if she wants to use that label. But right now he's not and we don't want to confuse her. So we, we made sure that all the people around us, like the grandma, the granddad, the the uncle and just the close people know what term we're using with her because we don't want her to be confused if we're saying donor and then we've got grandma saying dad. So we had to make that very clear. So, yeah. And it, and as well, like, if people are talking to us in front of her, although she's only one and she doesn't understand, we try to make them aware now so that they don't make that mistake when she's getting older and it maybe slips out. We don't know how she feels. We're not her and we don't know how donor-conceived people feel. So we just have to be aware of the, the sensitive to how they're feeling. That's also something I've been wondering a lot about. I am not donor-conceived. I probably have huge blind spots in that regard, trying to figure out what would be best for my daughter, Mita. That's why I was curious to ask Haley from Britain, who is both donor-conceived herself and have donor-conceived twins, what kind of reaction did she get due to her double status? 
and perhaps she had a tip or two for me in handling the surroundings. I think what I found most difficult is that people, um, like especially through maybe sort of the Instagram community, people ask me questions as if I should know the answers just because I'm donor conceived. Um, and I'm like, I, I'm, I'm donor conceived, but I'm new to parenting. So, um, you know, although I can obviously think about things that I, that, you know, maybe would have been helpful to me growing up as a donor conceived person. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm very new to parenting. So I think that's probably the most thing I found difficult is people make assumptions that I, I will, I know what's best when, when I really don't. <laughs> Whoops. I fell right into that same pattern. Seeing Haley as some sort of oracle, simply because she has her own and her twin's donor conception to rely on. I guess I just feel like I have to do something. If there is anything I want in this world, it is to protect my daughter from problematic and embarrassing questions. But do we have special obligations as the parents of donor-conceived children? While Haley is not an oracle, she had some great thoughts on the matter. I think we have an obligation to be honest with them. I do, um, because it's an element of their identity and medical history and potential future siblings as well. So you've got to think of, certainly with sperm donation, um, I feel as parents, we've got an obligation to tell them that they've got um, siblings. And we have actually connected with our um, children's donor siblings through um, internet groups based on our um, donor's ID number and things. Um, and I think I feel personally that I've got an obligation to our children in that sense, which is certainly something you wouldn't maybe have if you had children that weren't donor conceived. Um, so, yeah, I, I do feel like we do have. Uh, and, but at the end of the day, the children, we've created these children. Um, and so part of that obligation is something that we have actively decided to get involved with. So it's our duty then to make sure that we're doing right by them um, is how I feel. I want to be honest and do what's right for my child. But how do we make this honesty thing a part of our everyday lives? Do I need to start yelling, donut child coming through anytime we enter a room? Or should I only tell when asked? Solo mom Nina had a great perspective on this. I don't think it is anybody's business how you get your children. Really don't. And people should just butt out. Um, but I think it has paved our way into the world to be open about it. Um, I think my daughter would have had to answer a lot more questions all the time from all kinds of people with all kinds of assumptions. If I had not said to her in the beginning, this is how you conceive and you have been the most wanted child in the world. Really, donor children are the most wanted children in the world, period. And um, she has, uh, she's known that all along. And she's known that I'm not ashamed of how we did this. This was a necessity for us to make our family. And uh, people should just butt out. And I think that the way we have, uh, we've dealt with it has been the right way for us. It might not be the right way for everybody because you have to answer some questions, some very personal questions. It's been the right way for us, definitely. It is nobody's business how you created your family. I'm going to quote her on that one. 
What did that conviction mean for Nina? Did she keep as much information to herself as possible? No, we've made sure to tell everybody. In nursery, I told the parents of her nursery. I told the, the staff. And when she was in the kindergarten, I told them and uh, she told them herself. And we have made sure to tell everybody because sometimes she came home and she said, before I told any, anyone, she said, um, the other children are saying that my dad is dead. And she was very upset with that. And I figured, okay, this is not a very nice situation for her to be in. So I went back to the kindergarten. And I said, okay, I need to tell you something. And I told the children about this. And Laura doesn't have a father, but she has a lot of um, family and uh, two very funny uncles. And one of my brothers at least came and participated in things in the kindergarten so that she would have a, not a father figure, but a male figure with her as well as the other kids. And I think that the fact that we've been so open about it has uh, shielded her a little bit from a lot of nasty comments because children can be very, very um, open mouth. Uh, they can be very straightforward and just say whatever they're thinking without uh, actually reflecting on somebody getting hurt by it. And that thing about her dad being dead, that really got to her. So um, when she got to school, we told her when she changed school, we told them again. And at one point, she told me that uh, she would like to say it herself. And other times she would say, oh, I'm, I'm tired of telling the story. Please tell it, mom, and I would go and tell. And we've had um, parents of some of her classmates assuming that I was a lesbian because of this situation. And she would like to correct that because I was not. And just to make sure that people knew what the situation was. So we've made sure to tell everybody. I have had Laura with me to work a lot of times because of our situation. So all my colleagues know her and uh, like her. And she she's very comfortable coming to work because everybody knows her. I have made it an ambition to include the entire world because I don't want any misconceptions. I don't want anybody to say anything that is uh, insensitive. And I want... Laura to be proud of how she is set into this world. It might not be anybody's business, but if we can shield our children from just a comment or two, isn't it worth being open about how we came to be who we are? You don't have to tell the entire world about the donor conception if you don't want to. There isn't really one recipe that fits all. But I think it helps to think about that balance if you are the parent of a donor-conceived child. We don't owe anybody any answers, but we might be able to make the lives of our kids easier if we are open about our family and how we created it. The work of finding that balance between openness and privacy often begins as soon as you try to conceive with a donor. I talked to another great solo mom, Holly mom of Johan and Silke, both donor-conceived. For Holly, balancing career, fertility treatment and a future parenthood was hard. My situation was really quite unusual in that I, I told my boss of 12 years that I was 
going to start a family on my own. And he was just quite strange about it, really. He, he, thought, he said, I think you're crazy because, you know, myself and my wife really struggled. And, you know, I don't think, I think you're underestimating how difficult it is. And, and I just knew that I wanted it enough that I was going to, I was prepared to find every extra gear needed to, to, to make it work. And it took me a while to get pregnant with my first. And the moment I fell pregnant with Johan, um, I started getting excluded from meetings. My opinion didn't matter anymore. And I had to, I had an uncomfortable verbal game of chess about my maternity package, despite, you know, earning a lot of money for the company. And then after Johan was born, I asked to work from home one day a week. And, you know, because I was having to commute from the other side of London, I didn't have a partner, I didn't have parents, I had no resources around me to help. And I said, please, can I work from home one day a week? And he said, no, which was <laughs> pretty, pretty depressing. And, and I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to make this work. I'm going to have to physically travel an hour each way to get into the office five days a week. And then there was this voice inside of me which just thought, uh, this feels like it's it's unfair and it's this is wrong in many ways. So I, I found the voice deep within and I quit and and I set up my own agency. I found the ammunition within me to just get out of my own way and just crack on and, and believe that I could be my own boss. And I, I also thankfully got uh, financial help from my now business partner and yeah the company is now you know be seven years old like Johan this year and thankfully for me it's been a success from the get-go and I mean, it's been a wonderful thing to watch grow uh, in addition to Johan and Silke it's yeah yeah I'm, I'm very lucky very lucky Holly had to make some fundamental life changes because of her choice to be a solo mom, even before she was a solo mom. As a donor-conceived parent, handling the reactions from our surroundings starts from the time you decide to even try to conceive with a donor, and it continues throughout parenthood. I talked to psychologist Lisa Kama about how to be open and handle those nosy, sometimes hurtful questions while our donor-conceived kids are watching. First of all, by saying it's quite hurtful, that question. Because it is. Do you, dear friend, see that I'm not connected to my child? So kind of giving it back in a friendly way, of course. Um, I think... It's difficult for people to relate to what it means being parents with this life circumstance. Uh, and that is what the questions that you describe uh, kind of shows. So what we see is that parents who are not biologically connected to the child feel as much as a parent as any other. Lisa's point is that if you feel a connection to your child, it does hurt when others doubt your sincerity. Still, it makes my poles rise just to think about answering a question with, that is a hurtful comment. 
It takes guts to be that vulnerable. Luckily, I still have time to practice. And I have to. Because not too long from now, my daughter might be the one who has to face these different reactions. And I want to be the best possible role model for her. To figure out what kind of reactions donor-conceived kids and adults get, I talked to Lerke, a donor-conceived adult from Denmark. Lerke actually has three fathers. The one who was there at her birth, the one that raised her, and the one who gave her half of her DNA. That, of course, has led to many thoughts and reactions from her surroundings. For her... It's actually not the reactions that are hard to handle. It's figuring out whether or not to share her story. After my dad died, sometimes I, when people ask, uh, what do your dad do or at work or something, uh, then you have to, or I have to make a choice uh, about, do I want to tell it? Because it's a complex story. So I have to make a choice, do I go all in or do I... Do it, leave it. Yeah, so almost like coming out of the closet kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. It's not simple for me to uh, to tell about my, my family structure, if you can say it like that. I often just say, okay, my dad passed away. I have my stepdad. And then that is that. But again, it depends a bit on, on the context, uh, because if it's a, if I feel safe, then I'll probably say, but it's very complex because I also feel I have this biological heritage-ish dad. Um, and then we talk about it, but but it's not something that, that come on up often in, in conversations. It sounds it's something you live with, but it's not that big a deal to you, actually. Yeah, I think that's right, because it has been this way uh, all my life. And uh, I've always had to kind of live with the fact that I have more people in my life than just a mom and a dad. Uh, so that I have a biological heritage is dad uh, is just another <laughs> uh, link or another piece to my puzzle. For Lerke, it might just be another piece to her puzzle. But for Nede, another donor-conceived adult from Denmark... It's become so much more than that. Nida has joined a Danish NGO for donor-conceived people. She's doing a lot of work to inform more people about the life circumstances of donor-conceived children and adults. But what about her own private life, I wonder? Does she always mention her own status as donor-conceived? Oh, yes. I do it every time I meet a new person, basically. Because it's a part of me. It's also part of presenting myself in a way. So it's not the first thing I tell people, but it's very natural for me to mention it in a way, one way or another at some point. Um, the first time I told people were when I was in third grade, not long after I was told by my parents. Um, and so I told my classmates and they, I don't even think they reacted. Actually, I don't think they understood. But that day when my mom picked me up, Uh, my friend said she told us today and my mother looked at me and she asked me how that felt and I said it felt good I've never kept it a secret I've never been ashamed about it so to me it's very natural 
there have been different reactions. So my classmate reacted pretty good. Then later when we, when I was in fifth grade, there was this new guy in class. And I remember telling him, and I don't think he, he had ever heard about donor conception at all. He didn't understand it. So he looked at me and he asked, oh, so your mother is a hooker. And I was like, no, not exactly. <laughs> not at all, actually. And so I tried to explain. Then I met people who were curious about it and who asked me questions. I have also met people who, especially guys, who started lying about them being donors to see if they could get a reaction out of me. Um, but mostly positive reactions, I'd say, um, about the fact that I'm donor conceived. Then there's also the reactions about my opinion. That's a different story. <laughs> but yeah, but the reaction to, to the way I've, that I was conceived, it's been mostly positive, yeah. I am glad and somewhat relieved to hear that Nita gets mostly positive reactions. But kids can use anything to bully one another. I don't know whether my daughter is Anita, wanting to share her donor conception with all her classmates, or more like a Lerke, who only shares on special occasions. My daughter is probably just her own kind of person, like all kids are. In any case, I try to listen and observe to find out which style she prefers. And Christopher and I do our very best to be open to her preferences. Even though I tend to overshare a little bit. On the next, the final episode of Being Donor Conceived, we move from the reactions of our surroundings to the reactions of the donor-conceived kids themselves. One thing is to accept what you're told as a young child. But what happens when the donor-conceived babies turn into donor-conceived teenagers with their own opinions? As I understand it, a lot of their own opinions. And that is what the teenager can tap into. And that is what we feel when they come with sentences like, you are not my father. That's next time on episode number four. You have listened to the podcast Being Donor Conceived Stories from Children and Parents. I'm your host, Sabrina Bieting Seerup, and my producer is Annette Hellström. We want to thank our sponsor, European Sperm Bank. And if you want to know more about being a donor conceived family, I highly recommend going to European Sperm Bank's blog. They have tons of interviews and other resources to check out. I want to end by sending a big thanks to all the lovely people sharing their stories and knowledge with us in these episodes. This podcast would have never existed without them. Or you, our listeners. <laughs>